And, uh, and, and it was, um, as far as I was concerned, it was just a movie. It was just another movie, come along, it would be gone, the next movie would come. Who was to know? Who was to know? Any Star Wars fans here? Yeah, a few Star Wars fans. Okay. So little did I know that this little movie called A New Hope was going to have another nine episodes, is it? And in the, the movie that I'm watching, this first little movie back in 1977, 76, I can't remember what it was, uh, was, would actually be only episode four of this grand plan called, uh, nine episodes. And so, you know, when, it's, when in the middle of the film it says, Luke, I am your father, you're thinking, what? How can that possibly be? And of course, now you all know you have to watch all nine episodes to have even a clue of what that means. If you don't know Star Wars, forgive me for, for uh, straying into this. With prequels and sequels, we could understand the whole story. Uh, but tonight, we're just going to get that one episode. We're going to look at the cross. And I'm going to be talking about the cross and how we serve, how we struggle, and how we celebrate. There is so much more that could be said. Let's get into our reading. So we're going to read just from Hebrews 12. And uh, if any of you know this passage, you'll know that Hebrews, the beginning of Hebrews 12 sits between, uh, sits at the end of uh, Hebrews 11. It's actually a passage about faith. And yet this is the, this is the point about the cross. It breaks into every topic, every topic in the Bible, the cross breaks in. So let's just read this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So we're going to be talking about the cross and the way we live. Um, If you want the fuller story, there's this book from John Stott from whom a lot of what I'm talking about tonight has been drawn. So... Um, just bear that in mind. This is, this is episodes one through nine in here. So. But I want to talk to you about this story of the cross in the context of my own life and particularly two things that I love. One is my father, no longer with us, and the other is cars, automobiles. Because these two subjects for me come together. There are so many of memories of my father are related to cars. The memory of him coming into the house with hands black with oil. Uh, the day we crashed into a, a, a hidden pothole. Uh, all crammed in the car and going on holiday to the Lake District. Uh, the only memory I have of my mom and dad ever arguing was in the car. That wasn't that's good, to be honest. Uh, and the very last memory of my dad was in the car as I leaned in the window to say goodbye to him as he went off to work. And within a few hours, he was dead. And that is the most, that is the last, and you can understand, 
one of the most poignant memories I have of my father. But there is a memory, and it was told to me many years later, of my father that sits high above any of those, however traumatic, however wonderful they are. And it was this story that was told to us after many years later, that when my mother and father had finished traveling, my father was with the, um, with the Navy, and he'd been posted overseas. They returned to England, and they decided they wanted to settle down and have a family. So my father sold his car, his precious car, the car that he loved, in order that he could buy a house to raise a family. And what's so amazing about this story, and it seems ludicrous nowadays, is actually he sold his car and with the proceeds, he bought the house outright. Now that might seem ridiculous. <laughs> Clearly it must have been some special car, but also you have to recall that cars were very expensive just after the war, houses were very cheap, and the house was in Manchester. So apologies to anybody from Manchester, but <laughs> this, it is, this is just about plausible. <laughs> okay. He sold his precious car so that he could raise a family. For the joy set before him, he went to the cross. I want you to remember that it is for the joy set before him, the joy set before him, that Christ went to the cross for us. How affirmed do you think I feel that my father gave up his most precious thing so that he could have me. I wasn't even a twinkle in his eye. How precious we must count this life because God, the Son of God, for the joy set before him, went to the cross. So we're going to talk about the cross. We're going to talk about the cross and serving, the cross and struggling, and the third S, the cross and celebrating. Okay. The cross and serving. Although I don't remember that story about my father selling his precious car, uh, nevertheless, I was aware that we lived in one of the nicer parts of town, and yet even we were one of the very few families in our street that owned a car. Uh, now, that was not bad for my father, who'd grown up in a, in a rough part of town. Um, he used to, in fact, take us to the swimming baths every Sunday morning in the car. And I remember one day, um, the most embarrassing for us kids was my father got speaking to this guy uh, who was from his old district where he'd grown up and he was there with his child. And this, this guy had had to walk to the swimming baths with his child, it was a distance of a couple of miles. Uh, because he didn't have a car, the buses weren't running, uh, or he was just too poor, I don't know. But my father got chatting to this guy, and uh, you know, one of the things he did was he offered this guy a lift home. Now, that was so embarrassing for us kids. We're already crammed in the car. And then this stranger gets in, and this, this kid gets in. It was so embarrassing. But I never, I never forgot that. What does the cross tell us? It tells us that he, Jesus, came to serve. It reminds us that we can be so grateful, just as my father was, so grateful 
for the way life had taken him, that he wanted to share uh, what he'd been given. We've spoken a lot recently about serving, so I don't want to dwell on this point too much, but if you recall, those of you there, I was talking a few weeks ago on Jesus washing the disciples' feet, the ultimate example of serving. He came as a servant, though, not just to set an example, not just so we could follow. It says in Philippians, he did not consider equality of God something to be grasped. Instead, he came as a servant. He humbled himself, it says. Now how? It says he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. My father's gesture was pretty small, really. But we're asked to consider, and throughout this passage, we're asked to consider, consider Christ's example. And the cross shows us the extent of Christ's serving, that willingness to go to the cross. So just to round this out, basically, we can't out-serve God. His serving meant him going to the cross. Let's move on and talk about our struggle. So I want to talk about the cross and struggling. I want to talk about the struggle of our daily life, our struggle against sin, and our struggle with suffering. So my father sold his car, his precious car, to buy a home, have a family. So naturally, from then on, uh, if you haven't guessed it already, we always had old bangers. We always had these old wrecks. But my father was an engineer and he really knew cars. He knew all about them. He could see which had potential and he chose them really well. God also chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not to nullify those things are. You know, if we were in a, a Pentecostal church, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. You know, the preacher would often say something like, uh, you're a child of God. Say to the person next to you, you're a child of God. And everybody would have to turn and say, you're a child of God, okay? Well, imagine if he said, right, say to the person next to you, you're despised, you're despised. <laughs> God chose the lowly and the despised things of this world. He chose you and me. But... My father knew how to fix up cars. He knew how to make them work. Another story that we heard many years after my father died uh, was he used to work at a steelworks. He was an engineer at the steelworks and he knew how to fix cars. So he'd take the car into work and when he was working on the engine, apparently he would unbolt the engine, disconnect it from the car. And then he'd go and get a forklift truck, put it underneath the car and lift the car body entirely off the engine so that he could work on it with freedom. It's just one of those amazing stories. He knew cars and he knew what they were capable of and he knew how hard they could be pushed. So I want to talk about what it says here about Christ being the perfecter of our faith. So when we struggle with life, God knows you uniquely, knows what's best for you, knows how to get the best out of you. And it's not, it's not like he's just a self-help manual. 
It says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. If it was, a self-help manual, a guru, some philosophy might help. But he said, our struggle in life is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. How, how are we to get through life if we have to struggle against principalities and powers? Where we turn to the cross. And we're told that Jesus disarmed those principalities and powers at the cross. Our struggle with sin. Verse 1 says, Let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles and run the race with perseverance marked out for us. One of my earliest memories is we had some old banger and we used to travel to Whitby. Whitby is in the North Yorkshire Moors and from where we lived, when you got to the edge of the moors, you had to climb this incredibly steep bank, uh, hill called Gisborough Bank. It was about a 15% um, uh, angle and it ran for at least half a mile, maybe a whole mile. And uh, one of the things I remember was we were struggling up the hill one day in some old car and we started rolling backwards. So. Uh, as it says in the scripture here, my father decided to throw ev everything that hinders. So everything, everybody had to get out of the car. The only people left in the car was my father and me. I was the youngest and presumably the smallest. And so off we went up the hill and we were still rolling backward. The clutch was slipping and it was just scary. And I was screaming and my father said, don't worry, we'll make it. God knows our limits and he says, I will not test you beyond your strength. Verse 4 says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Where does the cross come in when we're struggling against sin? Well, we've not yet resisted to the point of shedding our blood, but Jesus did. Jesus did on the cross. And so the cross speaks to us as we're struggling with sin. Struggling with suffering. You know, one of the key objections to the gospel is suffering. In our own lives and in the world, um, why would a God of love allow suffering? Many people will ask. You know, I spoke about my father's really fine car. He sold to, so he could have a family. But I just want to speak about another very expensive car, not the one we were talking about this morning. But, and it's not, actually not very good to look at, very ordinary. Um, back in the day, a long time ago, back at the beginning of my career, I worked in the car industry and I worked in the new product development part. And when we would be making new cars, a new car model, um, you know, you, you need to test a car before it's used uh, to optimize it. But to building a, a car assembly line costs billions of dollars. We always worked in dollars. Um, you can't just build the assembly line, then take the car and test it. You have to build a prototype. And you carefully hand build that prototype to make an exact representation of the car that you want to build. So it might look like a very ordinary car. 
It says of Jesus that he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He looked very ordinary. And so does a prototype. A prototype is made to look ordinary, but a prototype 30 years ago when I was in the car industry would cost about $2 million to make. And then you take that precious prototype and you shake it, you rattle it, you twist it, you vibrate it, you heat it up to desert temperatures, you cool it down to the coldest Arctic temperatures, and then you take it and you hitch a, a, a caravan to it, and you take it on a test that's named after a mountain pass in Switzerland, you drive it up the mountain pass until the air gets thin to test if the engine can take it over the pass, and then you test it on the way down to see whether the engine can hold the caravan back and whether the brakes will work. It's shaken, rattled, twisted, and vibrated. Later in Hebrews it says, Jesus was tested in every way like us, yet without sin. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, it says here in verse 3, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We consider him who, it says, is the perfecter of our faith. But Jesus is not like some personal trainer or just a good example. It also says in verse 2 that he is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. He's the firstborn. Jesus was the ultimate prototype. Not just expensive, but actually precious, priceless. And in the end, after passing every other test, prototypes are taken, they're put on a sled, and at high speed, they're smashed into a lump of concrete. They're crash tested. Isaiah said, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. He took our place. Without the crash test, there can be no car. It's not good enough that we follow Jesus as an example or somehow as a good man whose ideas are worth following. The cross is the answer to our struggle, pain, and suffering. For in the pain of the cross, we see the pain of the precious Son of God. John Stott says this in his book. I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how can one worship a God who was immune to it? Forgive me if you've heard this story before, but a good friend of mine and a member of this church, Christopher Holden, died last year. And at his funeral, his granddaughter told this story that just before he died, she said, Grandfather, are you suffering? And he said, yes, but not as my Lord had to suffer 
for me. The cross shows us how to serve and to struggle. But finally, it shows us how to celebrate. At Easter, we hold the tension between serving and struggling alongside celebration. Uh, I don't think my dad ever regretted having to sell his precious car to raise a family. But equally, he never lost his, his love of cars. Uh, and he loved using the cars. I remember we would be, nearly every weekend, we would be off somewhere in the car. We'd be, uh, I remember one holiday off to the Lake District, five of us crammed into a Mini with our luggage. I don't mean a modern Mini, I mean the old one, okay? Um, you know, Sunday trips, driving holidays, caravan holidays, going up to Scotland to see relatives. For the joy set before him. Jesus wants us to have joy. He's paid such a high price for us that it's almost our duty to celebrate his goodness. And we do this in two ways. We celebrate life now. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. And we celebrate our future hope. It's almost, it's easy to miss the beginning of this passage. It talks about the great cloud of witnesses, those people who've gone before us, who in faith are now looking down upon us. So we celebrate that future hope. And then we hold these two things together, intention in the communion. You know, the Holy Communion, as we call it, or the breaking of bread, we sometimes call it. In fancy churches, they call it the Eucharist. But the Eucharist is not just a fancy word. It actually means thanksgiving. And when we come to remember the cross, remember that his body was broken for us, his blood was shed for us, we come with, with thanksgiving. We come in celebration. We remember his death that he was given for us. So through the cross, we serve with gladness. We struggle as we consider how he struggled for us. And we celebrate that he paid such a high price for you and me, the lowly and the despised things. He loves and we love each other. Amen. Thank you.